And um, today we are wrapping up our series, Echo Chamber, that we've been in in all the month of November. And I know that I have loved it. It has been very encouraging for me. I love hearing the testimonies from our own house. And so I'm really excited about today because I actually feel like the Lord has a word for us and I'm just really excited. So um, I'm gonna go ahead and jump on in and I'd like for you to stand as we do to honor reading the, God's word. Um, we're gonna be reading from 2 Corinthians chapter five. It is gonna be a lengthy passage, so just bear with me. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there, um, but it'll be on the screen for you, so let's go. Either way, Christ's love controls us. Since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we all have died to our old life. He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. So we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view, how differently we know him now. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone and a new life has begun. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back, from him, back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him for God, it was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. The title of my message today is represent him well. So let's pray as we get into it. Lord, we love you. We're so thankful, God, that we can gather together as believers to be encouraged and so today, God, as we open up your word, would it do only what it can? Lord, would it transform our life? God, may we not come to the scriptures to be encouraged or inspired, just that, but God, that it would actually change the way that we live. And so today, I thank you that your word is alive and it's active and it's for us. So prepare our hearts to be good soil to receive it so that it would bear much fruit. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. So the title of our message, as I said, is Represent Him Well. And today I'm talking through about this passage in 2 Corinthians. This is Paul writing this book. So a little context about what we've read is that Paul is writing this letter to a church in Corinthian, in Corinth, the Corinthians. And the reason why he's writing this letter is actually the Corinthian church has got some issues going on. We can relate to that, right? There's some issues happening. In fact, if you read some of the chapters before, you'll know that this, this church has become a little divided. There's some corruption that's been happening, and it's just not in a really good, healthy place. And so Paul is writing this letter, and this letter is actually a letter of correction. He's actually redirecting them in some things. And um, if you were to give this overall context of what he's saying to them, it would be this. He's saying to them, representing Jesus and his kingdom well, you need to be doing it. Are you representing Jesus and his kingdom well? That is, that is the context of what Paul is saying. He's saying a lot there that we're gonna get into, but that's, that's the crux of what he's saying to us. And I think that for a lot of us today, this is a really relevant message. Because I wonder in 2022, if all of us who say that we're Christians, who say that we follow Jesus, if we are indeed representing Jesus well in our lives. I, you know, I, I was 
reading a book. I've been reading a book about this upcoming generation, Generation Z. Um, I'm very curious, obviously. And um, in this book, this, you know, Generation Z, they're saying this is the group that are, they are post-Christian. They're not really coming into church. They're leaving the church at great record speed. And so this guy is compiling this information. He's asking a lot of questions about Gen Zers and just non-Christians in general, people who don't identify with the church. They don't come to church. And he was asking them a lot of questions, and he asked them, why is it that you don't come to church? What's the issue that you have with Christians, with Christianity, with church? And what he found is actually shocking, because what he found is that 87% of the non-Christians he polled said that they believe Christians to be hypocritical. And even more than that, he said 84% of them believed that Christians were judgmental. He would go on to talk about how the, the church is viewed in a lot of ways by non-Christians as a place where we're a bunch of hypocrites. We say one thing, we do another. We say we love Jesus, we don't necessarily live that out. We're judgmental, we can be mean. This, a church can be an, an unsafe place. And I wonder sometimes for those of us that are here and you know, we say we love Jesus, is, are we representing Jesus well in our lives? Would people, when they look at us, be able to see him well? Would they be able to see what he's like well? And I think sometimes we can get so caught up because I think what's happened is most Christians, we've lost this focus to represent him well. We've lost that focus. And the reason why is we get caught up in a lot of different things, right? Lots of things are vying for our attention. In fact, sometimes I think that we're better represent, representatives of like our favorite sports team or an organization that we love or a political party that we follow or Hollywood celebrities, whatever it is, sometimes we're better representatives of them than we are even to the one who is the crux of our faith. And the question for all of us today that we're gonna be wrestling with is, does your life represent Christ well, does it? And that's a question that we all have to answer. You have to answer that for yourself, I have to answer it. And that's what we're gonna be talking about today because in this passage, Paul is encouraging them, he's saying, listen, there's some issues going on in the church. Like, you, we need to redirect here. You're, you're missing the point. You're actually missing what's happening. And he makes four really big points in this passage. We're gonna go through them. I'm gonna tell you the first three, we're gonna fly by a little bit. So just hold on, follow me. The last one is where we're gonna land, okay? So of the four points that Paul is making, the first point that he's making in this passage to the Corinthians and to us today is number one, Christ has given us a new direction. So Paul opens up in verses 14 through 15 and he says, either way, Christ's love controls us. He's saying, listen, if you wanna know why I do what I do, while I am an ambassador in chains, while I endure pain and suffering, it is because Christ loves me and I know it so much and his love is living in me. I can't imagine doing anything else. It controls me. It guides everything that I do, the love of Christ. He goes on to say, since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that all have died to our old life. So now he's kind of bringing up this idea that outside of Christ, we had an old life. But once we get saved and we're reconciled to him, we now have a new life. He died for everyone so that those who receive this new life will no longer live for themselves. He is setting up for us that with what Jesus did for us, that we now have a new direction. He's repositioning us because what he's saying is, is in your old life, in the old way that you lived, your life was actually about you. 
Because our inward bent, whether or not you like it or agree with it or like to admit it, our life, if we're, if we're not submitted under Christ, is all about us. It really is. We want our comfort. We want things to go well for us. We don't like it when we go through hard things. We want God to give us what we want. We want him to wave his magic wand and have all the things. That's really what we want. And what, what Paul is saying here is that was once the path you were on, but now if you have this new life in Christ, now this path is different because it's not about you. It's actually about other people. Your life is no longer about you and your comfort, but it's actually about others. So we no longer live for ourselves, but now we live for Christ because the old life was corrupt. And in our sinful corruptness, we make it about us, but he's saying, no, 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 you have a new direction, so we have a new direction. Then he goes on in verses 16 through 17, and he says, not only do you have a new direction, but you have a new perspective. He says, so we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view and how differently we know him now. That means that no one who belongs to Christ has, that means anyone who has, has belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone a new life has begun. So now he starts to tell us that not only do we have a new direction, we have a new perspective. Because in Christ, when we've given our lives to Christ, now it's not about us, it's about other people. And now the way we see the world comes from a lens that only he can give us. Now, how many of you in this room, raise your hands, if you wear glasses or contacts, raise, raise them high, okay. I wear glasses, well, I'm wearing contacts right now, but I'm a glasses girl. I got my glasses in fifth grade because I literally just couldn't see. Now, if you're like me and you live like this, you know that when you wake up, you, are, you have to have your glasses. So for me, when I get up and my alarm clock goes off, the first thing I have to do is grab my glasses. If I don't, I will not be able to see anything. I've tried it several times and I have failed miserably. And the older I get, the worse it becomes. So I'm attached to my glasses. Well, what Paul is saying here essentially is that in your old self, you saw, but it was a corrupted way of seeing. And now in this new life you have with Jesus, he's actually given you glasses to see clearly, clearly. And the way that he's caused you to see is because these lenses are the lenses of the gospel. Which means now that everything that I see comes out of this perspective of the gospel, which now means that I perceive the world and people differently. In fact, because he will say, we've actually stopped evaluating people the way the world does. He goes, he, he literally is saying, the way you used to see people is different now. In your old self, you saw people, you probably just didn't see them because you were actually about yourself. And now, because you have these lenses of the gospel, you actually see people differently, which now means that when you go into the DMV, you see people differently, right? It now means that when you go into the grocery store to get all of your Thanksgiving Day groceries and there's only one aluminum pan and you're reaching for it and so is someone else, you're seeing people differently. And the problem here, though, is that oftentimes these gospel lenses that we've been given, we have to consistently adjust them. Right? If you wear glasses like I do, you know that sometimes you have to go in for an adjustment. They get loose, they start moving on your face, and you got to adjust them. It's the same way with us. We have to constantly be adjusting it because our, our, the way we are, the bent that we have, is to not really see people. And you want to know how I know this? Because I experienced it last week. And I, I debated on whether or not to even share this story, but I feel like transparency is really good, right? 
Because sometimes we get in our own little worlds and we think, well, you know, nobody else deals with this, it's just me. Well, let me tell you this, I'm not, I'm not happy about it. In fact, I'm very ashamed of it, but you know, confession is good. Last week, I went to the movies with a couple of friends. Um, they're actually in this room. And so they can tell you that this indeed happened. And we were a little early for the movie. And so we had decided to go up the street to dollar, the Dollar Tree. So we were in the Dollar Tree, wasting some time, just kind of hanging out, getting snacks, whatever. And um, after enough time we'd kind of wasted, we were like, we, we, we have to go because the movie's gonna start. So we go to check out. And I am in behind, I'm the first one of our group in line, but I'm behind this young woman. And I, she had a little girl with her, I did notice that. And she looked, she was maybe in her 20s and she had a bunch of groceries that she was buying. I didn't really pay attention to what she was, she was buying. But the guy that was checking us out though, <laughs> he was as slow as possible. Like literally, he was working it like it was just, I mean, he just had no, he didn't have anywhere to be. He just took every item and as slowly as he possibly could, just rang it across the scanner. And as he's doing it, I can literally feel myself coming unglued because I don't really have a lot of patience and, well, you know, that's where I'm at. And so I'm like standing there and I'm, I, can feel, I can feel it rising up in me so much so that I start doing all the things we do when we get impatient. I can feel myself tapping my foot. And I'm like looking at her and I'm looking at him like, could you go any slower? I'm like looking back at the people I came with. I'm rolling my eyes. I am, I'm doing all the things that would give you the cue of like, I don't like this, figure it out, you know? And he doesn't care. <laughs> and so he's going as slow as he possibly could and I'm frustrated. In fact, I would say that I'm acting like a child. I'm like so mad. I mean, honestly, if we weren't so tight together, I probably would have started saying things. And I'm very embarrassed by this, you know, like for real. And... um. So this guy, finally, he rings all of her stuff up, which can't be that much, you know, and he tells her the total. She goes to put her card in. I'm like, finally, it's going to be over. And um, he tells her, he's like, hey, your card was declined. And now I'm even more frustrated. Like, you, why didn't you know that you didn't have the money to buy the items? It's a dollar. You can count it out. Well, one, two, three, you know, I, I guess it's $1.25 now. But again, I'm like, how do you not know? And I'm so frustrated because now we're like going to miss the movie and we're, you know, all the things are happening. And in a second, it took me a second where I looked at her and I was like, oh my goodness, here is this 20 year old woman with her daughter in Dollar Tree. I was looking at what she was buying. I started, you know, paying attention, the things I wasn't doing before, right? And I noticed that she was buying toilet paper and bleach and food. And I can imagine the reason why she's coming to the Dollar Tree is because that's probably what she could afford. And now this woman is scrambling, she's embarrassed, and she's asking him like, hey, can you start taking stuff out? Like, I'm gonna try to make it work, can you start taking stuff out? And I, I am so, I, I'm so beside myself that I would have allowed myself to feel like I felt when I didn't even consider what she may have been going through. And so I straightened up and I apologized to the Lord in my heart. And I, I walked over to the cashier and I was like, hey, um, actually, I'm gonna get it. I'm, I'm gonna get your bill. And she was like, are you sure? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, no worries. And the guy, still slow, you know, checks me out. And um, uh, he didn't move any faster. And um, when she was getting ready to walk away, she had started crying a little bit. And uh, I just like walked over to her and I was like, hey, I just want to tell you like, God loves you. And um, if you don't have a church home, like, let me, let me tell you this church that you could come to. And she was like, thank you so much. And she was struggling and so she left. And I went into the car and me and my friends didn't really say much because I had acted like such a fool, honestly. And I wonder how many times we allow that to happen in our own lives. 
where we haven't really adjusted these lenses that we've been given to be able to see people through the gospel. And instead, we just look at them as just people in front of us who are taking up a lot of space and a lot of time. And I think for all of us, what Paul is saying, what he's reminding the Corinthians and what he's reminding us today is we no longer see people the way the world does. We actually now see people differently. And I was getting ready. I was reading this, um, it was actually this blogger, and she was writing about evangelism because I was just curious about, you know, what people are saying about evangelism. And I loved it because her name is Jennifer Fitz, and this is what she said when it comes to evangelism, sharing your faith. She said, Evangelism is not about getting other people to do the thing you want them to do. Evangelism is about looking at the person in front of your face, no matter who that person is, and gasping in wonder at the miraculously beautiful creation that God has endowed with a dignity and a worth that nothing can erase, no matter how deep in the mire that person is swimming in just now. And you see that person, and you know for a fact, here is someone worth dying for. And then you try for a few minutes to do something worthy of being in the presence of such a person. And when I read that, everything in me, I I just started sobbing because I wonder, is this how we look at people? That people really do have worth and dignity. That Jesus, like he said for us, like, hey, it's you. He looked at them and said, it's you. Like, you're worth dying for. And every day in our lives, we pass people all the time who are wondering who are stuck and they're hurting. And what they need is someone who has a different kind of lens on to look at them and say, wow, what a creation that God created. Like, what a creation. And so I wonder, do we have that perspective? So not only does he give us a new direction, a new perspective, but Paul reminds us that in Christ, we get a new mission. He says in verses 18 through 20, he says, and all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. You know, in these very two short verses, Paul says the word reconciled three times. And I think he's trying to make sure that they understand how big of a deal it is, what's happening. Because what he's saying is, is while you couldn't do anything, God chose you and he initiated reconciliation. To be reconciled means to be joined back together. It means that something was once separate and now it's gonna be brought together. Do you know that in and of ourselves, when we're born, we are born with a sin nature. Isaiah talks about our iniquities cause us to have separation from God. The wickedness, the the inner sin that we're born into because we live in a sinful world, causes us to be separated by God. And yet God, he chose us, he chose you, and he reconciled himself to you when he sent his son Jesus. And now, what was my sin is now become Jesus's sin on the cross, and now I can be reconciled to the Lord. And Paul is saying, don't, don't, don't you dare forget that this is a really big deal, that you have been reconciled, that it's important, How amazing is this? And not only have you been reconciled, you've been given this message of reconciliation so that you can go and reconcile other people to him. 
So the mission for all of us now, if you're wondering, sitting in your seat, what is God's plan for me? I can tell you that it is to love him with all of your heart and it is to make him known. He is saying, the task is at hand. Go and reconcile people to me. Because you have been given the message of reconciliation, it is the message of reconciliation we take. It's this give and take. So now he set us up because what he's saying is, is that you have a new, a new direction, you have new perspective, you have this new mission, and now you're positioned differently because you have a new position. In verse 20, he goes on to say, so we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. Now, this is where we're gonna hang out for a good bit here, okay? He's saying, therefore, since you have a new direction, since it's no longer about you and it's about others, and since I've given you a new perspective, a new lens in which to see people, since I've given you a new mission, your task now is to tell others about what I've done for you, I have given you a new position. You are to be my ambassador. You are to be my representative. And this is a really big deal. And I wonder if some of us, we actually fail to recognize how big of a deal this is. In fact, when we were singing today, I just kept thinking, you know, this God, right, who is the Alpha and Omega. He's the first and the last. He's the everlasting Father. He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He's the great I am. He chose you and me to be his representative. That's wild to me. And I think because we get so used to this language, if you've grown up in church at all, you probably have heard this. I got saved when I was 10 years old, and I remember in Sunday school, my Sunday school teacher talking about how we're ambassadors of Christ. I'm pretty sure we saluted to something. I don't know. And I was like, yeah, whatever, just give me the treat, you know? And I think that's what happens, right? We just are like, yeah, I'm an ambassador. It's it's fine. But do we really understand what Paul is saying here? You're an ambassador of Christ. You are his representative here. It's actually a pretty big deal. Maybe we don't know that it's a big deal because we don't really know what an ambassador does. I mean, to be honest, I really didn't, you know? I was, when I was getting ready for this, I stumbled across an article of a U.S. ambassador to Mozambique from the U.S., and I was listening to him talk, and it was very fascinating. He was talking about, like, what he did as, a, as an ambassador, what his job was like, what his day-to-day looked like. And when I was reading it, they were asking him, so what exactly is it that you do? And he said very plainly, an ambassador is a personal representative of the one who sent them. So for him, he's an ambassador of the United States to Mozambique. So when he goes to Mozambique, he represents the United States in everything that he does, okay? Now, I always thought that most of what an ambassador does is they talk about policies and they talk about things that these countries need to know. Well, that is true, right? There are two aspects to what an ambassador does. First of all, the ambassador, he actually conveys messages from the country in which he's sent, so that, that is true. But the second thing that an ambassador does is an ambassador represents whomever he was sent from by demonstrating it through his character. There's actually something about the way that you live that now represents who sent you. He goes on to say, because the the interviewer was asking him, so how does this work out in your life? Like, that feels like a lot of pressure. And he said, well, actually, it's a pretty big deal. 
You know, he's like, before I go, before I was sent to Mozambique, I actually spent year, a year researching our policies, America's, you know, how, where they stood on different things so that I could represent as well. And not only did I do that, I studied Mozambique. What were they like? What were the people like? What were the customs? What were the things that they were about? And then he went and he said, and I realized very quickly that everything I did was showcasing America in some way or, or another. He said, so it actually changed everything about my life. The way that I talked to people changed. The way that I waved to people changed. The way I greeted people changed. The way I tipped at restaurants changed. The way that I talked to waiters and waitresses changed. The way I talked to my staff changed. The way that I talked to people I was meeting changed. And he knew that because he was like, if I'm going to do this and do it well, then I'm going to represent the best that America has to offer to Mozambique. And there was something about what he was saying that I'm like, that's it. Because that's exactly what Paul is telling the Corinthians. He's saying, listen, you're a representative of Christ. Behave accordingly. (laughs) Y'all got some issues up in here, you know, like some things aren't right. Like, you're, do you know what you are? Do you know that you, you have a new direction in life? Do you know that the perspective God has given you? Do you know the mission that's at hand? So go and do it. Represent Christ. Do it well. Behave accordingly. People are looking at your life. And can I tell you something? That today, this is the same message for us. Because I think that there's a lot of us who probably aren't doing this in life. And there's a lot of reasons why sometimes we don't represent Christ well. I, when I was getting ready for this, I think that oftentimes it's not that we don't want to represent Christ well. Sometimes what it is is we have some really bad thinking patterns that cause us not to represent him well. So I have three ways of thinking that can be stumbling blocks to being an ambassador. Here's the first one. is thinking that it's optional. It's not optional. This isn't an opt-out thing for you. Okay, sometimes we approach Christianity like a buffet. I'll have some of this, I don't want that, I'll have this, I'll do that, okay, cool, I'm not doing that. And when, sometimes we can approach this like, I can either opt in or out to being an ambassador. Well, I can tell you wholeheartedly, you can't opt out of this. This is what it is. In fact, when you gave your heart to Christ, for those of you who have made that decision, you literally were taken out of darkness and put into his kingdom. Paul will say that in Colossians. When he's writing to them, he tells them, listen, you were once a part of the kingdom of darkness, but God rescued you out, and now he's placed you in the kingdom of his son. And so that means for you and for me that we once were in darkness. In our old self, we were in darkness, and now we live in this kingdom. Now my whole life is about figuring out what this kingdom is like and how I can live in it. It is about learning the king and what he represents, and it is showcasing it well. That is our life. It is not optional. It's not optional. And many of us, unfortunately, we've taken on this position that this is something that we can choose. Because you could be saying you're like, well, I mean, that was Paul saying it, like, what does he know? Well, I can tell you, Jesus said it too. Jesus in Matthew 28, at the very end, he says, go and make disciples. Go, go into all the world and make disciples. In Acts, he tells his followers, listen, I'm calling you to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to all the world. You're actually gonna go in and you're gonna be my witnesses. On the Sermon on the Mount, he tells them, he says, listen, you are the light of the world. It's you. You actually are the light. 
And in fact, because you're the light of the world, you don't put a light under a basket. No, no, no. You let the light stand on, a, uh, on something high so it can give light to the whole place. He's actually calling us the light of the world. He goes on to say, so let your light shine. And here's why you need to let your light shine so that people can see me through you. This is what Jesus has commissioned us to do. It is not optional. Nowhere in there did he say, listen, everybody be an ambassador but X, Y, and Z. That's not what he says. He says, go, it's for everybody. You will be my witnesses. You are the light of the world. Go and do it. Reflect me well. Bring me glory with the way that you live your life. So it's not optional. Here's the thing. I'm very, very grateful because this, this can be very tough if we don't really get it early on. It has something that we have to learn. Like, this isn't an option. When I walk into this space, I actually am an ambassador. I'm representing Jesus. But I'm really lucky because when I was growing up, my mom, I would go to daycare in the mornings before I would go to school. I loved daycare. And every morning, I was also a very bad kid. Y'all probably know that because I've talked about it often. And when my mom would, would drop me off at daycare, I remember before I would leave the car, every single day, every day, she'd make me look at her. I hated it too. She would say, Jessica, look at me. I'm like, okay. She's like, remember, you may be the only Jesus these little kids see. And I would be like, oh my gosh, I roll. Leave me alone, mom, you know? But I'm so grateful that every day she told me, you may be the only Jesus these little kids see. There were a lot of days I didn't do it well at all. But I'm really thankful that I grew up knowing that I had a responsibility, that it wasn't optional for me. It wasn't optional for me at 10 years going into daycare to opt out of it. It was my responsibility. I knew that from an early age. And so I have learned that in every space that I go, I have an opportunity. It's actually what I have. The second stinking thinking that we can have sometimes when it comes to being an ambassador is we can think, I'm not qualified. This happens to a lot of us, right? This is the kind of thinking that's like, well, people who are ambassadors for God are the real Christian people, you know? Those are the people who get paid to do it. Those are the people like the Billy Grahams of the world. They're like whomever name X, Y, and Z. Pastor Reagan, he's an ambassador of Christ. I, I'm not qualified to do that. I can tell you that you are qualified to be an ambassador of God. First of all, he calls you to it. Second of all, it actually has nothing to do about you. It has nothing to do with how good you are, the things that you do for him, nothing. It's actually about Christ in you. And because he has reconciled himself to us, now we have the authority of Jesus. So when I go into every space and I know that it's not optional, I also know I'm qualified though. He's actually put me in these spaces and it's in his authority that I come anyways. We are qualified. You know, I was, when I was getting ready for this, I stumbled upon, there's this um, professor of theology at Wheaton College. He was teaching a class on evangelism. He was talking about um, this interaction he had one time. And he said that he was in Chicago uh, for a work trip and he got into an Uber. He had ordered an Uber, he got in, and his Uber driver's name was Jane. 
And so Jane introduced herself and was like, you know, I have all these snacks here. I have all these things for you. You know, take what you want. And he was like, okay, cool, you know, whatever. So he, Jane starts asking him some questions, you know, like, so what do you do? Where have you come from? You know, all, all the things. And she kept saying to him, no, seriously, if you get some snacks, they're for you. And he said, finally, I was like, because I just felt bad for Jane, I went to go grab a snack. He said, and I realized in the middle of the car where the snacks were, there was a Bible sitting there. And he was like, because I'm a professor of theology, I knew the game is on, you know? So I let Jane do her thing. And Jane started asking him, so do you go to church? Like, what's your faith like like? And he was so impressed by Jane that eventually he ended up stopping her. And he was like, Jane, actually, I love Jesus. I'm a professor of theology. And she was like, oh, that's so good. Isn't God so good? And they start having this conversation about how good Jesus is in the back of an Uber. Well, later on, a couple of months later, Billy Graham has passed away. And so this professor was asked to come to his funeral. He was helping with some of the radio announcing of it. And he said, after the funeral happened, an interviewer from the New York Times who did the religion section came to him because they knew each other. And she said, so who do you think is the next Billy Graham? Who do you think it is? She starts naming, you know, famous speakers, you know, different evangelists around the world. And he said, I looked at her and I said, I think it's Jane, the Uber driver. (laughs) And she's like, what? And he goes on to tell about this woman who understood the assignment that she had been given. That actually wasn't optional for Jane driving an Uber not to represent Jesus well. And not only was it not optional, that she was qualified. Because guess what? The same message of reconciliation that Billy Graham has, Jane has. And not only is it the same message that Billy Graham has and Jane has and Pastor Reagan has, but it is the message that you have. Which means that every space that you go in, you are qualified to do it. And the last way of thinking that can sometimes be tough for us when, when it comes to being an ambassador is that we, we tend to can think that it's just about my words. It's about the words that I speak. Here's the thing. Being ambassador is absolutely about the words that you speak, right? Because Paul tells us that we have been given the message of reconciliation. So there's absolutely a talking part of it. But here's the thing. Sometimes I wonder if we neglect our character while we're preaching the gospel. That's what I wonder. I wonder that we get so caught up in having the right words and making sure that people know that we're Christians and we say all the things, but our life actually is not lining up with something that makes it feel true. Because I think that our lives have to have integrity so that we can create a space where we can actually share the good news of the gospel. I like to think of it this way. Your life is like paint primer. It's what helps the paint stick and go on and be good. But oftentimes we just wanna like, we just wanna tell people about Jesus. We're like, okay, fine, then I'm an ambassador. So that means I just need to go and I just need to preach. So I tell people like, hey, I love Jesus and you should too. And they're looking at us like, you don't seem like you love Jesus. You're really mean on Facebook. You get in a lot of comments, like a lot of arguments in the comment section. Actually, the stuff that you post about seems like you're more, like you, you side more with the political party than you ever do Jesus. Or actually, the way you live, you don't have integrity in your life. I work with you. You don't do, you're not excellent at your job. Why would I listen to the message of Jesus? And we have forsaken sometimes our character and the way that we live for words. I like to call this the 99 and one principle because 
there's this quote by D.L. Moody, who was a famous evangelist, and he said this. He said, of a hundred unsaved men, one will read the Bible, 99 will read the Christian. And the slide up here is representing that, right? That there is, of a hundred unsaved men that maybe you could evangelize in the world, only one probably will actually read the Bible. The rest of them are looking at the one who has. Which means that your life matters. The way that you live and conduct yourself matters. It means that everything you do and you say is painting a portrait of Jesus. And I don't know about you, but that feels really weighty to me. And I wonder if we've recognized this in our lives, that actually my character matters. The things that I say matter. The way I talk about people matters. The way that I am with the customer representative that I've been on the phone with for two hours matters. The way I wait in DM, the DMV matters. Standing in line at Dollar Tree, it matters. Because humans, sometimes you are the only Jesus they're ever gonna see. They're actually never gonna be able to hear the gospel the way that you know, but they will see you. And I know this, is that when people see you and they see you acting differently, that you're actually kind and you're generous and you're loving, you do your work well, you have integrity at your, in your office, that people are wondering, I wonder why they're like that. I know this, that even the hard things that we go through in life, the troubles, the trials, that even in that people are looking, how are they gonna deal with it? So now all of my life becomes a way that I'm representing Jesus, and I wonder, are we representing him well? I can tell you this, that I actually think it's much easier than we all know. Because I think so many of us, we get stuck thinking, it must mean that I have to be perfect, then I have to do X, Y, and Z. You're probably already working that out. Well, now I have to like do all this stuff. I actually think it's, it's probably just way easier than we know. And the reason why I know that to be true is because that is what I have experienced in my life. In fact, We've been sharing testimonies this, this month and uh, I wanna share one with you, but it's actually mine. Here's what I'll tell you. In 2004, the fall of 2004, I started my senior year of high school at North Augusta High School. And um, I was like any other normal uh, high school kid. I was um, applying for colleges. I wanted to go away so I could live my own life. And um, I was actually really excited about it. I had grown up in church. I wasn't necessarily living the way that I know God wanted me to live. I knew a lot of information about him. I don't really know that I had a real relationship with him. And um, I was starting out my senior year and I was really excited about what was to happen because I was like, this is gonna be the best year ever and I'm gonna graduate and be done with this place and you know all the things. And um, my dad had actually started running some marathons and in around October, so school would have started in August, around October, my dad started getting pretty sick. Um, he had a cough that he couldn't get rid of, all kinds of things. So we went to a bunch of doctors, or he did, and all the doctors saw that he had pneumonia, he might have bronchitis, they were giving him tons of medicines, but it wasn't going away. So finally, a doctor was like, listen, I think you need to go to a respiratory therapist, I'm gonna send you there, um, have an MRI, all the things. So my dad goes, he has an MRI, um, they found something that they didn't like. So they're like, this, we need to look at it, we need to biopsy it. And so in October of 2004, my dad went in for a biopsy and probably four or five, later, four or five hours after the biopsy happened, um, they called me and my family into a very small room, which you, you 
know is probably not always a great thing. And they looked across from us and they were like, I just wanted to let you know that it is indeed cancer and it's really bad. It's actually really, really bad. And we're going to be aggressive with it. You know, we're going to do chemo, we're going to do radiation, we're going to do all the things, but we just wanted to let you know. And so in October of 2004, we started all the chemotherapy appointments, all the radiation appointments, and as you can imagine, it was very, very difficult for a 17-year-old girl. And I was struggling in all the ways that you can imagine. I was struggling in my faith. I was wondering why God would allow this to happen. Why would he do this? It was just really hard to come home and watch my dad um, be sick. I'd never seen my dad sick like that before and not be able to do things. And um, I was missing a lot of school because I was trying to go to his chemotherapy appointments and his radiation appointments. And um, actually, in April of 2005, my dad ended up, um, because we had been doing all the treatments, my dad ended up at church having a massive seizure. And we took him to the emergency room, and that was when we found out that he had 10 lesions in his brain. Um, it was not good, and he, it, was, it, was, it was just not good. So we did more, some more radiation. The day before my senior prom, um, he went back to the doctor. Instead of you know, 10, they saw more. So they told us that day, hey, um, he has three to four months to live. You need to kind of get things in order. It was the day before my senior prom. And can I tell you something? My senior year was horrible. <laughs> Everything that I thought it was going to be was not. It was as if everything that I had planned, it was, like, it was like the opposite was happening. Before I started school, I, you know, before I started my senior year, I was very lively and fun. And, you know, I was actually just was reading through some of my yearbooks this week. And people were writing like, Jessica, you're so funny. You tell so many funny stories. And, you know, my senior year, I just, there was just nothing was funny anymore. You know, I, I would go to school. I wouldn't talk to anybody except for one person made the biggest difference in the world, and his name was Joshua Trahan. He was my biology two teacher my senior year. He was actually over FCA at our school. I was not an athlete, so I didn't know him in that way. <laughs> um, but he was my biology two teacher. He found out through administration that what was going on in my, with my dad, because I didn't tell anybody. I didn't want anybody knowing. I didn't want anybody to feel sorry for me or anybody to treat me differently. Josh Trahan, every single day that I was at school, he always told me, he would come up and he would tell me a couple of things. He would tell me that he was praying for me. He would tell me that he was praying for my dad and he would ask me how I was doing. Every day, every single day. There was not a day that he didn't do it. In fact, he did it so much, it just started to annoy me. Because <laughs> I was like, I don't want to talk about it. Why can't you figure that out? You know, he was just like always just asking me how I was doing. He would always tell me that he was praying for me, that his family was praying for me, his kids were praying for me. And, um, you know, I just was really hard on them. In fact, some of my yearbook, um, people who wrote in my yearbook my senior year, they were like, you were so mean to Coach Strahan. And it was because I was just so broken. And I just needed someone to just love me. And that's what Coach Strahan did for me. And later in December, my, uh, we had someone in our family who had a baby. So we were at University Hospital waiting. And Coach Strahan happened to be, um, his wife was giving birth to their, their youngest girl. And Coach Trahan actually got to meet my dad. It was really random. And um, I remember him meeting my dad, and he said, I just want you to know, like, I'm praying for you. But he's like, I'm praying for your daughter. And I was, like, standing there listening to him talk. He's like, I think about her all the time. I'm praying for her. We're going to take care of her at school, you know. My dad was, like, crying. He's crying. I'm like, I'm crying. It's like a bunch of men and not me crying, you know. And um, my dad would end up passing away July 2005 of um, my senior year after I'd graduated high school. And do you know that the very first person at the viewing at Poteet Funeral Home in North Augusta, High School, at North Augusta 
was Joshua Trahan. He was the very first person that came in. And I remember he hugged me really tight and um, he told me that he loved me and that he was still going to pray for me and that he was still believing that the Lord was, was going to move in my life. And I remember it probably for the first time crying and really for the first time understanding what it was that he was doing. And what I think Joshua Trahan knew was that it wasn't optional, that he was qualified, and that it was more than just his words. Because I can tell you that even though he told me that every day, it was the way that he was with me. So actually a couple of months ago, I reached out to, to Coach Trahan. I call him Coach Trahan. Now he's principal of Fox Creek High School in North Augusta. I reached out to him because um, at youth, we were talking about honor. And um, I just wanted to honor him. So it made me think of him. I reached out to him on Facebook and I was like, I don't even know if you remember me, but you changed my life. And we ended up exchanging some messages. We were texting. We were actually, he was gonna come here today, but he has COVID. Um, but he sent a little message that I would like for you guys to hear. So here's Coach Trahan. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Josh Trahan. I was Jessica's teacher in 2004 at North Augusta High School. Uh, she was a senior there, and um, they had received some difficult news early in that school year. And uh, Jessica had become fairly introvert, kind of quiet. I have not really spoken with her a ton in the last 17 years, so I don't know if this typifies her now, but as a youth leader, I can't imagine that that would be her. Um, and it seemed out of character for her at the time. So as her teacher, I would reach out to her from time to time and ask her how she was doing, and she let me know what was going on with her family. And um, did continue to pray very hard for that family that year. I can't imagine being a, a teenager and um, looking at the inevitable loss of a parent. Um, and Jessica was somewhat resistant, I guess I would say. Um, she wanted to, uh, she really didn't want me to pick at her and give her a hard time, and that's always kind of been my MO as a teacher. Uh, so I was amazed a couple of weeks ago when she reached out to me and told me what she was doing. Um, it, it just brings full circle what God says in his word and what he does in our lives. We don't know the plans that he has for us, but they are there to prosper us and to keep us and to grow us. And you know, I don't think it was ever God's plan that her father pass away the way that he did, but it certainly did grow her into a wonderful young person who's obviously leading many young people now. So very blessed to have known Jessica. And, uh, and I think that I thank her that she holds me in such regard. Thank you. You know, I have not seen Joshua Trahan in 17 years until he sent that message. And I'm just really, really grateful that I had somebody who was willing to be an ambassador for me. Like who was willing to love me and tell me about Jesus even when I didn't wanna hear it. And I am convinced that Joshua Trahan knows something that we probably don't all know, which is that in every situation and every person is spiritually significant. Every person and every situation that we experience is spiritually significant. It is just a matter of will we, will we do it? Will we do what God's asked us to do? And I want you to stand with me as we close. And I think, you know, a message like this, we can, we, we can easily think, okay, well, you know, like that's great and good and, you know, okay, cool, you know, ambassador, yay. Here's, here's what I don't want us to miss. That with a message like this, I think there has to be a response. I think, number one, if you're in the room and maybe you've never given your heart to the Lord, I can tell you that's the best decision that you could ever make. In fact, he wants to be reconciled with you. He wants to be joined together with you. And if you have never done that, then today that's it for you. 
But for those of us who are in this room and you would consider yourself a Christ follower, which means that you follow Jesus, that you love him, that he's the Lord of your life, then my question to you is, are you representing him well? Are you representing him well? At work, are you representing him well? When you go to the grocery store, are you representing him well? To your family who is far from God, are you representing him well? Are you representing him well with your friendships? Are you representing him well at, in your sports teams? Wherever it is, are you representing him well? And I think if you're like me, we probably all have a lot of room to grow in this, right? And so today, I actually wanna open the altar up because I think it's really important that when we hear a word like this and we're challenged, that we say, God, I'm gonna actually, I'm gonna take a step and I'm gonna say, I wanna represent you better. That there are places in my life where if I'm honest, I know I'm not really representing you well. And so I wanna ask you to come, if that's you today, and you're like, you know what? I need to do better. There are, certain, there are certain situations where I know I'm not representing Christ the way that I should be. Then I want you to come down. And what we're gonna do is, is we're gonna commit, or however, you know, and pray, we're gonna commit that the Lord would actually use our lives. So come on down if that's you. I feel like all of us have room to grow in this area. I don't know of one person who I think really has this nailed down. Here's what I know, is that I have decided a long time ago because of Joshua Trahan and because of what Jesus did for me, that I, for the rest of my life, was going to do everything that I could to make him known. In every relationship that I come across, whether or not I'm perfect in it, but I'm gonna make sure that they know who Jesus is and that he loves them and that he's for them. And so today, if you're down here, at this altar, the prayer that we're gonna pray together is God, use me. God, give me eyes to see people differently. Lord, every situation that you put me in, every place where I'm at school, every workplace that you've given me, that I would be an ambassador of you and I would represent you well. That's what we're gonna do. So let's pray together. Lord, we love you so much. You are so good. In fact, you're better than we even know. And Lord, today we come before you and Lord, we repent. God of every way, Lord, in which if we're really honest down here, maybe we haven't always represented you well. God, we, we repent. And God, what we ask is that you would use us. Lord, use our lives so that people would know you better. God, I pray for every person that's down here, God, for every work situation that you've given them, maybe even work situations where if they're honest, they don't want it. They have been praying that you would move them. I pray, Lord, that you would give them eyes to see that it is an opportunity. And how will they represent you well there? God, I pray for every student that's in this room who's at a school. God, that they would walk their hallways knowing that they are representing Jesus, that they are to do it well. God, I pray for all of us who are down here, God, that you would help us. God, that you would lead us and you would guide us. God, give us a hunger to know you more. God, that we would be in your word, God, knowing who you are so that we could represent you well, Jesus. God, give us strength, Lord, in every place where we feel so unqualified and every place where we look at our lives and think, it, it can't be me, I'm so imperfect, but God, in that place, would you would you give us the strength and the ability to know that you have called us and we go in your authority. Therefore, you are with us. We don't do it alone. And Lord, give us eyes to see humanity. God, give us eyes to see people. God, that we really would journey with people, that we really would just say, how are you doing? I'm praying for you. 
and that God, our lives would match up to it. God, that we wouldn't be living lives of hypocrisy where we say one thing and we do another, but God, that our lives would be congruent with our message and God, that you would be made known in our lives through us. We love you. You are so good. In Jesus' name, amen.